You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. to know you were stepping into a rave this morning. Hope you appreciated the lighting effects that we put on just for you guys. We don't do it all the time, but we thought this was a special Sunday with me preaching and all. I love to worry about that before I come up here. So at any rate, I am James Brown. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point, primarily the song and dance man here doing what Alex and Maddie were doing this morning. But this morning I'm stepping into the pulpit to preach for you guys. So I'm excited to, to be doing this. Um, If this is your first time joining us, or the first time in a long time, we've been in a sermon series entitled Blessing and Praise. We're looking at some of the more well-known benedictions and doxologies in Scripture. Just to get us all on the same page, maybe you're wondering what a benediction or a doxology is. I'm going to reference this quote from A.W. Pink that Jamie has used throughout this series to sort of frame things up and give us a, a common definition to work from. Pink writes... A doxology is an ascription of praise. A benediction is a word of blessing. The one ascends from the hearts of the saint to God. The other descends from God to the saints. He's also used this illustration of having our hands palmed down as we give praise to the only one who is worthy of our praise and adoration, and then palms up in a posture of humility as we receive the blessing from God that only he can bestow upon us. This morning, we're going to be looking at the first of those two, a doxology in the book of Jude. Before we get to that, I came across this quote from John Piper that I liked. I feel like it helps round out this idea of how a doxology works. I'm going to read this here. Piper writes, doxologies refer first to something that God has done or will do, and then they ascribe attributes to God that account for that action or are expressed in that action. So for example... You might say, now to him who fashioned the intricacies of the human eye and every molecule and atom in it. To him belong infinite, inscrutable wisdom and skill. Or you might say, now to him who adopts dirty, abandoned, rebellious children into his family. To him belong compassion and boundless mercy. He continues, in other words, the attributes that you ascribe to God are the ones that account for the action you are praising or that come to expression in the action you are praising. His wisdom and skill are expressed in making the eye. His compassion and mercy are expressed in the adopting of unworthy foundlings. These attributes account for the actions you are celebrating. And so it is with the doxology that we'll look at in Jude 24 through 25. Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. In this case, this is the action that is indeed worthy of our praise, God's ability to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before him with great joy. And then we have the attributes that Jude ascribes to God for this awesome work. He goes on to say, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the basic structure of these doxologies, but there's a ton to unpack here in this passage, which we're going to get to, but I wanted to pray for us first, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word this morning. Thank you that um, we can lean on that, uh, Lord, empowered by your Holy Spirit, both to uh, speak it and to receive it. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, this promise, uh, Lord, and what a glorious promise that we get to sit under this morning. Uh, Lord, a promise that uh, you will be with us always to the very end, Lord, that you will keep us from stumbling. Lord, I need to hear that this morning. (laughs) I need to be reminded that no matter what happens here in this day, uh, that there is a bigger picture, um, Lord, that you will uh, be, the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion, Lord. And I thank you that that is the case this morning. Lord, I thank you that you know everything because I know so very little. Um, Lord, I pray that our response to this passage would be the same as Jude's response. Uh, We wouldn't just be able to sit with it and receive it and just... um, growing in our knowledge, Lord, but that it must be expressed in some way outwardly, Lord. We must give you praise and worship for the things that only you could do in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. So a little uh, background uh, on the book of Jude. It's a short book. If you haven't read it before, what one commentator referred to as more of a postcard than a letter of just 25 verses, and it's a, a fascinating study if you haven't gone into it, there's some head-scratching passages in here to sit with. I'd be in favor of going through this book in its entirety at some point in this church. But for now, this is not meant to be a thorough unpacking, just to kind of get us acclimated as we go into this closing doxology. Jude gives us a little bit of background about himself. He tells us that he is James's brother. James, we know, is the brother of Jesus. Therefore, Jude is also Jesus's half-brother. I don't know why he doesn't say that. It seems to make sense. But anyway, that's sort of syllogistic logic, right? If Jude is James's brother and James is Jesus's brother, then Jude is Jesus's brother's too. That's, that's a syllogism. I learned that from Kay Codell Carter, my logic class at uh, Brigham Young University. I really, I, I'm not Mormon at all. Like, I, I wouldn't be here if I was. But, um, <laughs> but that, that was the only one that offered the class, and I took it to him. And that's the one thing I retained. So um, shout out to Kay Codell, wherever he is. Um, but anyway, so this is an audience that he's preaching to, likely comprised of Messianic Jews. Um, he uses examples from Jewish literature throughout, which would have been familiar to this audience. And he tells us right from the beginning, Jude does, that he wanted to write about something else. He says, I was very eager to write you about our common salvation. And then something cause, causes Jude to shift his focus onto more pressing matters. He wants to discuss now corrupt teachers that have infiltrated the church, And this is less a matter, it seems, of unsound doctrine, which there is some of that. But we looked at the book of Colossians, for instance, and that seemed to be the main issue that Paul is addressing here. But here, Jude is addressing the moral behavior of a lot of these teachers. Um, Greed, sexual promiscuity, these things were rampant amongst these people. And Jude pivots um, in order to address this and charges the church, as he puts it, to contend for the faith. Um, a little caveat, this idea of contention. I'm, I'm a big sports fan. Um, basketball is my game. You might not know it to look at me, but I, I can ball. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really good. And I get really into it, whether playing it or watching it. Um, some might say a little too much. My boys probably could get me fired with the things I've done and watching the Lakers play. Um, hopefully they don't say anything. But I get emotionally invested when I'm watching it, and I don't, I don't really know why. I know that if I wasn't emotionally invested then I probably wouldn't watch it. That's something about that that I love. 
But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really just rooting for a different color jersey is, is kind of what it comes down to. Um, but all the same, I do love watching it. I grew up uh, in Inglewood, California, uh, city of champions, uh, rooting for the Dodgers. Uh, and the Los Angeles Lakers, my team, uh, the purple and gold, Showtime, the Lake Show, uh, purveyors of, of some of the finest basketball ever played. At the time, the Lakers were in Inglewood at the Great Western Forum, uh, now at Crypto.com Arena, arguably the worst name of arena in all, in all sports, um, next to maybe the Smoothie King Center. Those are just stupid names. Anyways, but back then, my family and I, we used to go to the Forum. We were kind of in walking distance from it. We go there quite a bit to watch games, and on one particular occasion, I don't really know why this was the case, but um, it was either a preseason game or maybe it was just uh, people were invited to watch the Lakers practice, but I got to go on the court and, and meet several of these guys, which was amazing, like these giants and these short shorts at the time, and I got to meet uh, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I went up to Pat Riley, who was the coach at the time, and I told him, you know, seven-year-old me, that I was going to be a Laker. When I grew up, and he kind of uh, was like, okay, you're kind of dismissive, you know, and, um, and I, I'm going to show him. I'll be the first 40-year-old 5'10 white guy to enter the league and, and make a splash. Um, but anyways, I, I loved all these guys. Um, I loved Magic, and I loved Kareem, but my favorite player was this dude right here. I don't know if you guys recognize him. That is Kurt Rambis, um, and not only did he look cool, uh, as you can tell, but, uh, but he was nonstop on the basketball court. I used to call him Rambo. That was his nickname. And he wasn't the most athletic player, but he always gave it everything he had. He was diving for every loose ball, going after every rebound. He was uh, Johnny on the spot with the outlet pass, uh, which was essential to Lakers' showtime offense. Uh, he was everywhere. He never quit on any play, never cheated the game. He showed up and he contended. Um, this is the picture that came to mind as I was thinking about a contender in light of Jude's charge to contend for the faith. I think this is the picture that we're meant to have in our minds. And what Jude had in his mind, maybe not uh, like Kurt Rambis, but someone like him, um, someone that is fighting, contending. Um, David Helm in his commentary writes about this word contend, uh, which in the Greek sounds like our word for agonizing and carries with it this idea of Athletes who, in an effort to win, find themselves just intensely struggling, competing, fighting with all their might to win. This word, he goes on to say, often is attached to things that are intrinsically worthy of our full effort. And Judah's saying, fight, keep fighting, because it's going to be worth it. And he unpacks what that looks like here. I think this idea of contending for the faith is important as we go into Jude's closing doxology. And we'll see, the sports analogy, though, only goes so far. When I watch a sporting event, I'm never quite sure if my team's going to win. There's always a chance that they could lose, as, as they did last night badly, and they're down 3-0 now. But uh, that's always the risk it takes. But when it comes to following Christ, that's, that's not an inherent risk. Our victory is already secure, and this is meant to be an encouragement to us and meant to be encouragement to those that were reading this letter. Unlike a sporting event where your team could potentially lose, as we sang at the start of this service, he won't, right? He doesn't lose. Now, to he who is able to keep you from stumbling, this is similar to the passage we looked at a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, this language of now to he who is able, in that passage, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, um, this idea that God is able. This is not a 
passive ability. This is not something that God could do if he feels up to it or something that he might do someday. It's something that he is actively doing. He will do it. In fact, it is him alone who has the power to do it. And what it is that he's able to do, he is able to guard, that is protect us from stumbling. Some of your translations might say the word falling in, in replace of stumbling there. And this could be interpreted as keeping us from sin, I think there's definitely truth to that. Other passages use this word in stumbling in similar ways. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Um, talks about how we are being sanctified. Jamie preached on this last week, this idea of progressive sanctification, becoming more and more conformed into the likeness of Christ, which also includes forsaking sin, following him. So there is that built into this idea, but I think... What Judah's talking about here, this idea of stumbling, is more big picture, likely referring to apostasy or an abandoning of the faith entirely. And I think this makes sense when you look at the continuation of this verse. He expands on this idea. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It's a similar, again, to... 1 Thessalonians 5 has some similar language there. He says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a distinction between the two, and Jamie and I were talking about which one should have gone first. Ultimately, we decided on this one because we didn't really think about it, and he'd already preached the other one, so this is how it works. But I kind of like this order. I think 1 Thessalonians deals with this sort of present tense reality of walking with Christ, um, which it's in both of them, but this sanctifying work on the road to glorification. And Jude is more, got more of like an eschatological flavor. This is yet future. Assures us that we will indeed get to where we're going by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home as we sing from time to time. And I think we're gonna sing a little bit later as well to reference another song to that far kingdom at the end of the sea where they know my name. You've probably heard this expression before if you've been around any churches for any length of time. They always said it in churches that I grew up in. Um, and they said it as if it were actually from Scripture, and it's, it's not with this idea that you could be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. You've heard that expression before. Um, I think it's well-meaning, but it's really stupid. You know, It's kind of a pernicious expression as well. And I think Jude would beg to differ also that setting our sights on heaven is not only a good thing to do, but it's an essential thing to do. And we need to be reminded constantly. We need to be reminding each other. It's like a long car ride with your kids. If you guys have ever gone on vacation with your kids before, the whole cliche about, are we there yet? That's like an actual thing, and they do it constantly. <laughs> we have our phone set up on the dash, and it gives our ETA, and it's like, six hours or whatever, and it's like every 10 minutes, like, you know, what, how far away are we now, Dad? And they keep on telling them, you know, the 10 minutes after the last time you asked kind of thing. But they need to know. They need to know where we're going, and they need to be reassured we're going to get there. Um, and how much more so in this life, which is a lot longer than a six-hour car trip, to be, we need to be reminded. So this is what Jude is doing with his readers here. He's reminding us of where we're going and what it's going to be like when we get there. And... I gotta say, it's gonna be, it's gonna be pretty boss. We're gonna spend some time here and just kind of fill the weight of what Jude is presenting to us, so that we can, when we get to that, so be it of the passage, the amen. We're we're ready to proclaim it. 
Um, going back to the passage, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you. Um, I, I love this idea of it's God the one that presents us in this moment, almost like God as the MC. I picture uh, some occasion of, of uh, great pomp and significance, uh, walking a red carpet or something like that, or um, like a fashion show, like uh, here's James, you know, fashion forward in his white robes and new glorified body, like that kind of thing. Um, some, like an Olympic ceremony. I, I think it, it, it just speaks volume of God himself presenting us, literally making us to stand before him. The reference, the uh, illustration that Paul uses himself, this idea of running a race and getting to that finish line. And if you guys have ever watched any sort of like marathon running in the Olympics, they always kind of cut to it when there's maybe two minutes left and you're going to see the person that's actually going to win that year. And once they get past that finish line, they just kind of collapse. Like they're heaving, uh, they're sweaty, they're tired. This has been a long, exhausting race. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be like that at all. I think it feels like that now, but I think the opposite is going to take place. When we get to that finish line, our limp's going to be gone, our fatigue is going to be gone. Just complete rejuvenation. Um, another illustration, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I thought of... Uh, I've seen in, in Forrest Gump, you ever seen that movie, where little Forrest is running and he's got these leg braces on and uh, he's being chased by some local bullies and all of a sudden he starts to awkwardly kind of try to get away from them and the braces on his legs fall off and he's able to just sprint and it leaves them in the dust. That's, that's kind of the picture I get of what's going to happen here as God presents us as trophies of his amazing grace. Blameless, it says, word blameless meaning without blemish has its Old Testament roots, right, and this idea of presenting animal sacrifices. These animals are to be without blemish. I read that in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it shifts a little bit, and we see it used more generally to mean something like moral purity, and this is applied to Christ himself, our atonement lamb. Looking at Hebrews 9.14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. And then in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This idea of blameless does not mean that we have lived a life of uh, sinless perfection by any means, or that we have been sanctified to the point where we achieve that, it means that we are covered in Christ's blood. We are the righteousness of Christ, not for what I have done, but what Christ is doing and has done through us, through his atoning sacrifice. I think 2 Corinthians 5.21 articulates this idea well. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reference another lyric that we sing here from time to time. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. In Christ we are without blame, and we will stand before the presence of his glory. I'm going to sit with this idea of, of glory for a little bit. We throw these words around um, 
But I think it's good to sit with them. It's one of those words I need to be reminded of. What does that even mean, this idea of God's glory? And it's one of those words that's a little hard to define. We tend to think of it, and C.S. Lewis puts it, as something like fame or a disembodied light. But glory, God's glory, is so much more than that. I think John Piper comes closer to this idea when he says the manifest beauty of his holiness is how he defines God's glory the sum total of his worth, magnificent splendor, loveliness, all these things. I try to form these kind of visual connections of, of what that'll be like standing before him in his glory. Um, I picture like you step out of like a cold room into the sunlight and just fill it on your face. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but I think it'll be warm and enveloping and some other words that I don't really have the vocabulary for that mean complete and total fulfillment. Perhaps something akin to the word that Jude uses as he goes on, is great joy. This word for great joy, Michael Green notes in his commentary, is a word particularly used of exaltation at the heavenly banquet. It is essentially a word that belongs to heaven, and it attempts to encapsulate an experience uh, exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. But I think we'd be remiss not to, to try a little bit and sit with this and just kind of imagine, you can't, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> just imagine that everything you've ever thought, said, felt, every mistake you've ever made, forgiven, complete pardon of all wrongdoing, no more battle with sin or doubt, no more trust issues, every scar that does not heal fully in this life, every situation that could not be fully repaired, every trauma self-inflicted or inflicted upon us, every loss completely restored, every tear dried, God's saving work completed on the last day to the overwhelming, uninhibited exaltation of saints and raucous jubilee. It's gonna be amazing what a day that will be. And that's just a taste of what we'll experience as we stand before our Lord in his glory. But the thing is, that's how we'll feel, and that's awesome, and I think we should sit with that um, but this passage isn't really about us. It doesn't stop there. It's a doxology, and it moves into what it's meant to be about and the one who ensures these things, and that's God himself, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I love this descriptor of God as Savior, um, which is not a foreign concept to refer to God in this way. We see him often referred to as the Savior of his people throughout the Old Testament. More often, this word of Savior is designated for Christ in the New Testament, although we get it for God as well, obviously in this passage. But I think what this shows us, or at least reminds us, is that there is one God, three persons united in an effort to save mankind from Satan and sin and death, God the Father sent God his Son to save the world by the power of God, the Spirit who regenerates dead hearts. And how does he do it? Jude goes on to ascribe these attributes to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. <clears throat> he does it by his glory, his majesty, his dominion, and his authority. I'll sit with each one of these here, this idea of his glory, and we discussed this a little bit already manifest beauty of God, his weighty presence, glory to the one who was able to rescue and redeem his people and to guard us. His majesty, this is a word used to describe 
kings, and as a king, he has complete sovereign reign over his kingdom. His power, he's not like any earthly king. His power is unmatched, and it would take an awesome display of power to rescue and preserve a kingdom against the forces of evil all by himself. And lastly, a word that is tied to this idea of his power, his authority. He created all things, and all creation is intrinsically his. And then Jude goes on to add this time stamp on it. This is an account of time that can only apply to an eternal and supreme being. He says, before all time, and now, and forever. Which about covers it, I think. (laughs) This is not some king that has usurped the throne or has succeeded the throne in some long lineage of kings. This is the ancient of days. To even try to frame it might cause your head to spontaneously combust. Even sitting with this idea, he is before all time. This is something that used to trip me out as a kid and, and still does. So um, to put it into perspective, like think of the beginning of time, and probably something that preceded all of you. You have to go really far back. And then once you get there, um, now think of a time before that. <laughs> and that's where God is. All glory, majesty, power, and authority then. And then now he is the God here currently. And currently all glory, majesty, power and authority belong to him. And then forever, glory, majesty, power, and authority will always belong to him from everlasting to everlasting. He alone is worthy. And um, I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is sort of a, a mic drop moment. Jude unpacks all of this in this short amount of time. Um, and, and I think we're just meant to sit in awe of it till we get to this point. Um, so here's what I want to do to close things out. So we've been doing this throughout the series. If you've been here, and anytime Jamie has preached on one of these doxologies, we'll get to the uh, the final amen, and, um, and then he sort of, you know, opens his arms as if to say, you guys join in with me, and um, you guys have gotten progressively better, but you're, you're still pretty bad at it. So what I'd like to do here um, is, I think what would be an awesome way to close this out, I think is what we're supposed to do, is, that, is to declare the so be it of a passage like this uh, as one church. So I'm going to go back uh, to the beginning of this passage, and I'm going to read it all over again, and when we get to that amen... We're going to say it together. You guys ready? (laughs) I'm a little nervous. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but I'm going to try it. All right, here we go. Um, From the beginning. (laughs) Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever Amen. I said that's the best one yet. You guys nailed it. So I was worried I was gonna have to go back and do it again. So um, <laughs> so be it. Um, and I'm just sort of priming the pump here a little bit because we're gonna keep going. We have some opportunities in the moments to come to continue to respond in this way to let our amen be heard. We're gonna continue to worship Him through the taking of communion, and we do this. Each week, this is a tangible, visible representation of the gospel. I'm going to take the bread that represents his broken body, dip it in the cup, representing his blood spilled for us. 
It is because of Christ's sacrifice that we are kept, preserved to be presented, blameless before him. I'm going to sit with that as we're doing it. Alex and Maddie are going to come back up in just a moment. They're going to play through a few more songs. They're going to have a, an instrumental moment that give you guys just some time to reflect. Um, maybe perhaps pray with your family. Grab someone else to pray for you if you desire that. Just a reminder, this meal is for Christians. If you are a Christian, come and receive gladly of this meal this morning. If you're not a Christian, I pray that your next step would be one of repentance as you seek him. Maybe God is stirring in your heart. Um, if that's the case, uh, find me, find Jamie, someone else to, to talk about that or, or pray about it with. Uh, you can have that reassurance of a God who will never leave you or forsake you, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before him. And then we're going to move into a time of worship through song. I love that we get to do this in this way. It's very fitting coming out of a doxology like this. Um, and this is, uh, I think, important. But we look at the Psalms and we see David, for instance, uh, you know, just uh, professing this, this uh, deep, profound theology. And that always brings about this doxological response. So don't... Uh, don't do this this morning. Don't sit with the, the theology of a passage like this and go like, oh, that's great. I'm glad I have this head knowledge, but I, I, I need to uh, make my joy complete in the worshiping of him and the praising of him. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.